0: In verse 19 and read through the remaining portion of this chapter. <clears throat> Paul writes, "...but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. But ye know the proof of him that as a son with the Father he has served me in the gospel." Him, therefore, I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Yet I suppose necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick, nigh unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him, therefore, the more carefully, that, when ye see him again, ye may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation. Because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me." Let's go to the Lord again in prayer. Father, we ask that you might use the truth of your word this morning in every heart and life. May we understand that which you have written as you have given it to us. May we recognize, Lord, your care for your church through the fellowship of the gospel. And Lord, may we understand with discerning hearts provided by your spirit the responsibility and the privilege it is to be a part of the body of Jesus Christ and to serve you, to worship you in submission unto you as you would work in and through us for the cause and purpose of edifying one another in the faith, for evangelizing the world about us which is lost and in spiritual darkness, because you have placed within us the very light of the world, the Lord Jesus, and now you've made us your lights, Lord, as we would shine forth in proclaiming the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So may we do so faithfully, may we do so humbly with gratitude and thanksgiving that you have called us to this, great stewardship of the gospel and may you be glorified in and through all things that are said all the very thoughts and intention of our heart and the very words which are spoken lord may it be unto your glory unto your honor give us ears lord to hear eyes to see hearts to receive and a commitment and determination to live in the truth of your word through the power of christ dwelling in us we pray this in jesus name amen thank you and be seated Throughout our study of this epistle, which has now been for several months, of course, I've reminded you of how Paul, Paul's thesis statement is made in chapter 1 and verse 10. And within the epistles, you'll find this to just be common, that there is a thesis made in the first chapter, usually, of, of any given epistle that sets the tone or the foundation for everything that's going to be taught from this epistle or within this epistle. The reason and purpose this epistle is, the reason it has a place in the canon of scripture. And so we've seen in chapter one of verse 10 of Philippians that Paul speaks to them and says that he desired and prayed for them, of course, that they would prove the things that are excellent, more excellent. And the word excellent means superior. And we've seen that throughout the study. Last week, I showed you a review of the overview of the of the book in which I reminded you how we see in every chapter that Paul points out that the excellency of knowing Christ, of the of Christ himself, of the gospel of Christ, of the fellowship of the gospel in Christ, and on and on it goes. And we saw, uh, of course, in chapter 2, in chapter uh, 2 verses uh, 5 through 11, which is commonly referred to as the Carmen Christi or the hymn to Christ, or praise to Christ, we see where Paul shows the excellency of the humility of our Lord and then the excellency of His, the superiority of his exaltation as he who humbled himself and came into the flesh became a man and then, of course, even unto death humbled himself unto the will of the Father and died, and God hath highly exalted him. Again, not the person of Jesus, but the glorified body of Jesus because now he lives forevermore in a glorified body which is exalted above all others he was always with the father as equal with the father And even in chapter two if you recall in the hymn to christ paul says that jesus thought it not robbery to be equal with god there you have it in the person of of the lord jesus is equal with the father as part of the triune god however he humbled himself in taking on human form human flesh and then was exalted above all others In human flesh, glorified human flesh, but glorified flesh, he was exalted above all others and given a name which is above every name. So we saw as well that Paul made it very clear that it is more excellent or the superiority of knowing Jesus. Even Paul states in this epistle that all things he once counted gain he now counts as loss for the excellency of knowing Jesus Christ. In other words, again, Paul is saying, just to remind you of this truth, Paul is stating in this epistle that everything is inferior to that which is superior, and that is knowing Christ. So knowing Christ is superior to all other things. Nothing else compares. And Paul is making that very well known throughout the entirety of this epistle. And so Paul declares that his desire is for the Philippians to prove those things, to acknowledge and to live out these truths of that which is excellent or superior. Last week we began our study into the final division of chapter 2 within, within the chapters. Remember, the chapter divisions are not uh, original to the writing of the text of the scripture, of course, we know that. Verse divisions are not original to the writing of the text. Paul wrote a letter to the Philippians, and it was not divided by chapters and verses, but it was a single letter, which is to therefore be studied and understood in that in that context. And so, uh, we see, though, that the divisions that do exist literally within the text are the sentences and the paragraphs. And last week we began the last paragraph, our study of the last paragraph, of chapter 2 of Paul's epistle to the Philippians. And within this portion of the text, chapter 2, verses 19-30, we see the excellency of fellowship in Jesus Christ, or the superiority of fellowship in the Lord Jesus Christ. Within our study of chapter 1, We considered how Paul expounded upon the impact of the fellowship of the gospel within the church or the body of the Lord Jesus. We saw that fellowship in the gospel provides unity within the body of Christ. Chapter 1 verse 7 says, "...even as it is meet for me to think of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace." Paul's thoughts of the Philippian church were precious to him. That's what he is saying. And due to the, it was due to the relationship he shared with them in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to be in fellowship with the gospel of Jesus Christ is then, therefore to be in fellowship with the church of the Lord Jesus that is committed to the gospel. In other words, fellowship in the gospel cultivates unity in the work, in the support, and in the furtherance of the gospel. Second, we saw fellowship in the gospel produces godly affection within the body of Christ. Chapter 1, verse 8. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying from the innermost part that is only the desire comes from the innermost part of me and that desire originates because Christ dwells within me. And he is saying that those who are unified in the purpose of the gospel of Jesus Christ will have a godly affection for one another, which is produced by the unity of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, that dwells within. And so if we truly are in fellowship in the gospel, genuinely, biblically, as it is defined, then that will cultivate a love and an affection towards one another. Then he said, we saw the fellowship in the gospel cultivate spiritual growth within the body of Christ. Chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, he went on to say, And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment or discernment, that ye may prove approve things that are excellent, there it is, proving that which is excellent or superior, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. It is in and by the continued increase of our knowledge and discernment of God as expressed in the Word of God and as experienced in the fellowship of the gospel of Christ that genuine growth occurs." Genuine growth does not occur simply by memorizing Scripture or reading Scripture or attending church services. Genuine growth occurs as we are in fellowship in the work of the gospel, in the knowledge of the gospel. And gospel not meaning just... When I say just, I'm careful in saying that. It does not exclusively mean the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but the good news of Jesus Christ which extends beyond the fact that he came, died, rose again, and ascended to the Father. But we continue to see the truth of the beauty of Christ unfolding through the Scriptures as we grow in a knowledge of the Scriptures and their teaching of Jesus Christ. The fellowship in the Gospel cultivates a spiritual growth within the body. Then fellowship in the Gospel yields righteous fruit within the body of Christ. Verse 11 of chapter 1, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Let us remember something here, and I don't want to belabor the point. We've already dealt with these verses some months back, but let me, let me point this out to you in verse 11 of chapter 1. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness. So these are the fruits of righteousness, the presence of Christ who is the personification of the righteousness of God. That there, by virtue that he dwells in you, you are now filled with righteousness which will inevitably bring forth fruit from your life. And the fruit is not something you produce. It is the righteousness of Christ producing this in and through your life. Remember John 15 and verse 5, concerning the vine and the branches, Jesus says in Romans 11, elaborates on this more. But in John 15, concerning the vine and the branches, Jesus speaking to the Jews, and he says, I am the true vine, ye are the branches. But in verse 5, he says, without me, ye can do nothing. Nothing. So it's not that we are producing for God. We produce nothing for God. If we produce anything for God, it's that we produce a hindrance of that which God would do, which he is not hindered by at all. But yet we do not produce anything for God. God produces through us unto his glory. Notice, notice what he says. With the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, not by you, it's by Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. So what? What is at stake here? What is really at stake? According to this verse, it's the praise and glory of God which is at stake. And the righteousness and fruit of righteousness will be produced through our lives by the presence of Christ dwelling within who is the righteousness of God. And if that is the case, then God is saying it is my glory and my praise which is ultimately realized through the fruits of righteousness being born in and through your life. So I say this to you, God is not going to leave as a result of our action or inaction the incompletion, if you will, of his praise and his glory. In other words, let me remind you what Jesus said. Remember when he told the religious people of his day and those about him? If you will not... Give praise to my Father. What would happen? The very rocks will cry. God's going to receive praise and glory. So this is not hinging all on us. The praise and the glory of God is what's at stake, if you will. It's not at stake at all, but from our perspective. And that is not going to be determined by what we do or not do. God is going to receive the glory and going to receive the praise that he so rightfully deserves. And it may be that in our lack of submission or obedience that we miss out on the the privilege of giving that glory and praise. But guess what? God will be glorified and praised nonetheless. He's determined this. It's going to be. From all of these verses from chapter 1, we conclude that God is providing unity in his church through the fellowship of the gospel. God is producing godly affection within the church through the fellowship of the gospel. God is cultivating spiritual growth in his church through the fellowship of the gospel and God is producing spiritual fruit out or from his church through the fellowship of the gospel. So within this portion of the text, we observe Paul's recommendation or commendation, as we've read this morning, of Timothy and Epaphroditus to the Philippian believers, which serves as this commendation of Paul serves as both a testimony to and as well a demonstration of the fellowship of the gospel. In other words, Paul's commendation of these men is due to their testimony of faithfulness to the fellowship of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it demonstrates how genuine fellowship in the gospel is manifested in church body life. Look again at verses 19 and 20 and then verse 25 of our text. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state, for I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. Then verse 25. Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. So last week we considered these truths in review up to now Paul recommending or commending Epaphroditus. Last week we saw where Paul commended Timothy. And Paul's commendation of Timothy regarding the fellowship of the gospel is seen in verses 19 through 23. And from these verses... We, we, we discovered first the necessity of the gospel fellowship in verse 19, and that God has equipped the body with the necessary parts for it to edify itself under the provision and power of its head, which is Jesus Christ. Then we saw the evidence of the gospel, of gospel fellowship in verses 20 and 21. Timothy, by being like-minded with Paul concerning the care for the Philippian church, was not seeking his own interests, the scripture says, but was committed to the things of Christ. This is the evidence of genuine gospel fellowship. If we are focused on us and our agendas and our self-interest, then we are not genuinely in biblical fellowship in the gospel. This is not about you, and it's not about me, and it's not about new life. It's about Jesus Christ, period. And that's what we have to recognize and, and realize concerning the fellowship of the gospel. Then third, we saw the value of gospel fellowship in verses 22 and 23. Paul personally valued Timothy's fellowship in the gospel to the point that he said, I desire and intend to send him to you for ministry. However, I need to see how things work out here first because he was being used of God in helping Paul at that moment. Because remember, this again is a, is a, prison epistle. Paul wrote this while in prison. He is limited physically in what he can do, where he can go, how he can minister, but God is working through others as Paul is instructed and taught and others are ministering to Paul, such as Timothy in this case. So this morning we will continue our examination of the excellency of fellowship in Jesus Christ as we look into Paul's commendation of Epaphroditus regarding the fellowship of the gospel in verses 24 through 30. And I won't take time to read all of those verses again, but we will work through each of them as we approach them through our study. Between the verses in which Paul described his intent to send Timothy, as we saw last week and even read again this morning, between the verses of Paul's intent and desire to send Timothy to the church at Philippi, and then Paul's explanation as to why he sent Epaphroditus to the church, Paul expressed his desire to come to see the Philippian believers himself. Look at verse 24 with me. Paul said, But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Now, Paul, obviously, by even this expression, he had a desire to be with other believers who were faithful to the gospel, having the same commitment to the purity and the propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Common ground and unity is not produced by the claim that one loves Jesus and the gospel, but it is organically present and cultivated when one lives in the truth of the gospel which that one claims to love. So your claims to love Christ, your claims to love the gospel will not cultivate biblical fellowship within the body. The genuine fellowship is, is manifested and evident and present whenever we truly are committed to that which we claim that we love. Again, in verse 24, he said, But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. This desire is present to be with these other believers that have proven to be faithful to the gospel. The truth I spoke of a moment ago is evident, first, in the way that one presents himself, obviously, concerning faithfulness to the gospel and then further validated as one lives his life consistent in the truth of the gospel i meet people i'm sure you do as well occasionally whose attitude their speech their actions manifest certain characteristics which are consistent with the gospel and i often then ask if they are a believer in christ and i'm never surprised to hear that they profess Christ as Lord when I'm asking the person that question. Paul's desire to personally be with the Philippian believers stemmed from this very truth of which I just spoke. There was evidence in their lives that they had been faithful to the gospel of the Lord Jesus, even at their own expense. In chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, Paul wrote, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you to the Philippian church. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy, now look at verse 5, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Interestingly enough, verse 6 follows, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So he says here, I give thanks upon every remembrance of you, and I do so with great joy for your fellowship in the gospel. Paul desired to be with the Philippian church, not again because they had so many things in common and agreed on certain matters, but no, he, in, he desired to be with them and to minister to them because they were faithful in the gospel to which Paul was faithful, to the Lord Jesus Christ, that is. So the church exhibited faithfulness in the gospel, which was the basis of the fellowship which Paul shared with them, and it was for this very reason that he not only personally desired to see them, as he expressed in verse 24, But he also desired to send Timothy, as he expressed in the previous verses. And he did send Epaphroditus to them, as we see in our text this morning. So as we examine Paul's recommendation of Timothy, we now will examine the same of Epaphroditus. There are three components to that which Paul states concerning Epaphroditus in this text. First, Paul's commendation of Epaphroditus regarding his fellowship in the gospel. Verse 25. Yet, I suppose, he said, now, I sent Timothy, or I desire to send Timothy, but he needs to minister to me at this point in time. However, I also desire to see you myself, and I I plan, according if God will permit, to come to you personally. He said, yet, I supposed it necessary. I thought it to be necessary to send to you, now at this time, Epaphroditus, my brother and companion and labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger... And he that ministered to my wants. When Paul says, Your messenger, Paul is sending Epaphroditus with this letter to them. So, no doubt it is Epaphroditus, in all probability, that, that handed the letter to the elders of the church at Philippi and for the church to have received, because he says, I have sent. So, he was wanting to send Timothy and, and plan to. He also desired greatly to come himself to them and plan to do so, according if God would permit. But yet he says it was necessary to send Epaphroditus. And then there's reasons as to why he states this. Paul explained that Epaphroditus was first his brother. Now, this is a familial term. Paul's relationship with Epaphroditus, that is his brotherhood in Christ and the gospel, was the foundation of Paul's commendation of this brother. Paul emphasized the relationship aspect with Epaphroditus as that which was foundational to his commendation of this brother to the Philippian church. Isn't Isn't it interesting, before he says anything else about Epaphroditus, he says, my brother. This is that relationship that comes only through the person of Jesus Christ. This is that relationship which is only realized in fellowship of the gospel. And so he says immediately, this is my brother. Before anything else, it's about this relationship they shared Because of Christ. As I've stated many times. Our fellowship and unity. Is not based on external factors. But on the internal presence. Of the same spirit dwelling within us. Making us brothers and sisters in the family of God. We are brothers in Christ. And it's not what we do. It's who we are if you have faith in Christ, if you know the Lord Jesus. Second, notice he says companion in labor. This is an occupational term. After declaring the reality of this foundational relationship shared between Epaphroditus and himself, Paul then emphasized how the relationship they shared in the gospel translated in the practical sense in the life of Epaphroditus. Now he says first, brother, this is my brother. That is his relationship with him because of Jesus Christ. Again, not what he did, who he is. But now because of who he is in Christ, it dictated or determined that which he did. And he's saying this is now occupational. This is about what he's doing. Paul and Epaphroditus labored together, he is saying, as brothers in the gospel. They were brothers. That's who they were because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. However, it is because, again, of who they were, brothers in the gospel because of Christ, that they now did what they did as laborers in the gospel. One example that could possibly help, to further un- help us to further understand this truth could be that of the brotherhood of the military, the police, first responders, and so on here in the U.S. While many who serve are not physically related at all together, they serve together, they refer to themselves as brothers or a brotherhood or family, and it's because they are joined together by that which they do. Now, let me remind you, we are brothers not because of what we do, but because of Christ who dwells in us. But yet, it is that brotherhood is now demonstrated and manifested by that which we do because of who we've been made to be in the person of Jesus Christ. So, although what you do does not determine who you are, who you are will determine what you do. And Paul and Epaphroditus were brothers in the gospel. Also, therefore, they were also both committed to the work of the gospel. Then the third. Statement Paul makes concerning Epaphroditus here, he says he's a fellow soldier. And of course, this is a military term. Not only did Paul and Epaphroditus work together in the gospel, but they also were willing to give their lives for the sake of the gospel. Those who are genuinely committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ will not only associate or identify in the gospel, they also will work and labor in the gospel. But even more importantly, they will give themselves entirely for the defense of maintaining the purity and propagating of the gospel. Those who fight to defend our freedom obviously consider freedom and those they fight for to be more important than themselves. Is that not the entire emphasis we've already seen in chapter 2 that Paul is making about being like-minded? Again, when Paul says in the first verses of chapter 2 that ye be like-minded, he's not saying that you have a, agree on things. He is saying specifically, as you find consistently in Scripture, that Paul is saying like-minded, that you prefer others before yourselves. And then he provides the example of the Lord Jesus Christ himself in verses 5-11 through of how he humbled himself in the accomplishment and fulfillment of the will of the Father, even unto death. So this is the emphasis of Paul's teaching concerning preferring others before yourselves. Paul has charged each of the individuals making up the Philippian church to prefer one another above himself. Paul further explained to the church it was this man, Paul's brother, companion in labor, fellow soldier of the gospel, who he had sent to be their messenger. Verse 25, again we read, yet I supposed it necessary. I want I to send Timothy, but I couldn't yet. I desire to come, but I'm not able yet. But I, it's necessary I send Epaphroditus, my brother, my companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. Second, we see Paul's purpose for sending Epaphroditus in relation to the fellowship of the gospel. Look at verses 26 through 28 with me. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness, because he had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was uh, sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him, therefore, the more carefully, that when you see him again, ye may rejoice and that I may be the less sorrowful. So Paul chose here, he says, that he chose to send Epaphroditus, who at this point was able to travel to Philippi as far as his health was concerned, despite the fact that he had been deathly ill or sick. Paul further expressed his thankfulness to the Lord for having mercy on behalf of Epaphroditus and how that it was a relief to him personally, to Paul personally, that the Lord had shown mercy to his brother. We can see the selflessness And the sacrificial life of Epaphroditus, and why Paul would choose to send him to the church by the statement Paul makes in verse 26. Notice what he says For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that ye had heard that he had been sick. Now, let's stop for just a moment. Don't misread that. It does not say he was filled with heaviness due to his great sickness, he says, Epaphroditus was filled with heaviness because he knew that you had heard that he was sick. He was more concerned with how his sickness had affected the church at Philippi than he was concerned about his own personal well-being. Preferring others before yourselves, like-minded, humbling ourselves as Christ humbled himself on our behalf unto the glory of God the Father... Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Again, this commendation of Timothy and Epaphroditus, when we first read it, you may look at it and say, well, how does this really fit into everything that Paul has already stated? It fits perfectly into everything Paul has taught up to this point, obviously, because we begin to see that this is now a genuine demonstration of that truth Paul has emphasized already in the letter concerning them being in the fellowship of the gospel and what this actually looks like. And now it's being presented unto them in everyday body life of the church. Such a concern for the church over himself reveals the truth of his commitment to the fellowship of the gospel. While it is not uncommon for us to desire others to care for us, especially when we are sick or not well, the question to be asked is this. How concerned are we in how our absence or our physical inability to minister to our brothers and sisters affects the body of Christ? How concerned are we about that? Epaphroditus is willing to suffer unto death for the cause of the gospel, not under martyrdom or persecution, but his own personal sickness. So this isn't about him being persecuted. We can look at persecution and say, you know, make all kinds of claims or evaluations or assumptions, but that's not what's happening here. Epaphroditus is not being persecuted for the sake of the gospel from an outward perspective, but he is suffering physically and now willing to disregard his own physical life for the ministry of the gospel. And his grief and sorrow was not concerning his own well-being. But his grief and sorrow and concern was that he had heard that the church now knew that he was sick and he knew that that would have an impact adversely upon them and potentially even prevent him from being able to minister to them as he so greatly desired to do. If nothing more... Simply as a messenger unto them of Paul's epistle. That is a profound example of what it really looks like to be in the fellowship of the gospel. And then, third, Paul's instruction to receive Epaphroditus in the fellowship of the gospel, verses 29 and 30. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation. Because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. Paul commands the church to receive, to look forward to, to wait for Epaphroditus with gladness and the proper respect. Paul is commending this brother to the church as one who has proven to be faithful in the fellowship of the gospel. Verse 30, because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. So Paul further explained in chapter 4 and verse 10 of Philippians, he said, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. So in verse 30, when Paul says that Epaphroditus was used of the Lord to minister to Paul when he lacked the service or the ministry of the Philippian church to himself, he's not griping and complaining and rebuking them because they were not willing to minister to him in time of need. But rather he's saying, you were careful about this, but yet you lacked the opportunity. It was not providentially working by God at that moment for the Philippian church to be able to minister to Paul as they had previously done, as they now continue to do, But there was a moment where they were not capable of ministering to Paul for whatever that reason may have been. He is now saying Epaphroditus was used by the Lord to meet those needs that you could not meet, that you would have gladly met had you been able. And so he says, this man has ministered to me. Now I have sent him unto you. And he is to be respected in the proper biblical manner, not not exalted, not looked at as though he was something special or peculiar, but rather he was being sent at the testimony of Paul the Apostle, saying this man is faithful in the gospel ministry, even unto death, or at his own expense, he has proven faithful and beneficial in the gospel ministry and his commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so for this cause, you are to receive him as such, and to do so with gladness. The fellowship in the gospel is much more than gathering in a building to meet. It is so much more than gathering around a meal. It is so much more than finding common ground with others. The fellowship of the gospel is a result of who we have been made to be in Jesus Christ. Or that might we say who we are as fellow laborers, and as fellow soldiers within this family of faith. Let's review something just very briefly, and then I want to conclude this morning with a question. We see in this example of Timothy and Epaphroditus that they were obviously living sacrificially for the sake of the gospel. They were giving themselves over. We see that, as it was explained, as we looked at this morning, the first, again, term Paul uses to define or describe Epaphroditus as his brother. That's the relationship that they had together because they were brothers in Christ, because of what God had done in them through Christ and made them to be. Then he moved on to, he's a companion in labor, again, occupationally. This is now, what he does this is who he is he's a brother but because of who he is this is now what he does and then he moves on to the military term of course speaking of fellow soldier in which again it represents that of a sacrificial way of living in life one could work in the gospel and yet really not sacrifice in the gospel necessarily as necessary or as would be necessary to do but here he's saying oh not only is he laboring for the cause of christ he doesn't here's the difference as an occupation he is giving himself or he's given his time to the work of the gospel. As a fellow soldier, he's giving himself to the ministry of the gospel. And so Paul is saying, look, he's a brother, and because of who he is, he gives of himself, but not only does he give of himself, he gives himself completely to the work of the gospel. Having understood this commendation of both Timothy now and Epaphroditus in these Closing last chapter, or last verses or division of this second chapter of Philippians, I simply want to ask you this question. Based on the criteria of Paul's commendation of Timothy and Epaphroditus, could Paul commend you as a brother who is faithful in the fellowship of the gospel? I believe that's a fair question in light of all Paul has said. This example or these, this explanation to the church at Philippi of what Paul states in his letter of commendation to them, we read it and it's easy to look and say, "Oh, well, it's wonderful." Timothy and Epaphroditus were such committed soldiers, committed laborers, committed brothers in the gospel. But the question is this: if, if, if it. Is not that Paul could commend if Paul could not commend us as he did them, is it not for the same reason that Paul stated concerning concerning Timothy in relation to this commendation whenever he says concerning Timothy in verse twenty one for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. If we are truly seeking after Christ as a believer, following in righteousness and humility before the Lord and submission to Him, then it could be said that you are commended unto the work and ministry of the gospel because of your fellowship, proven fellowship in the gospel. But here's what I was saying earlier. If you're seeking your own, then you're not seeking the things of Christ. But if you're seeking the things of Christ, you cannot be seeking your own. It's one or the other, but it's never both. Let's stand together in prayer. Father, we do thank you for